No matter what we do, it just won't go away. Plastic is one of the great environmental issues of our time. More than 8 million tonnes of discarded plastic ends up in our oceans every single year. To give you an idea of what that actually looks like, that is like 15 truckloads of plastic waste every minute. Plastic is just one more stressor on a very important ecosystem. We know the damage plastic does to the environment. And New Zealand's been making strides in cutting down our use of it. A raft of laws and changes come into effect today, including a ban on plastic bags. Businesses have had six months to phase them out, and those caught could be fined up to $100,000. Your Saturday night takeaways could be looking a little different tonight as the country steps up its battle against single-use plastic. Polystyrene food containers, along with plastic meat trays and even plastic cotton buds, a band from sale. And coming this weekend... Plastic straws, plates, cutlery and fruit and veggie bags will be a thing of the past, joining a list of banned single-use plastic products. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, on a per capita basis, New Zealand's one of the most wasteful nations in the world. Each year, every one of us sends at least 60 kilograms of plastic to landfill. We're trying to change that by phasing out all sorts of single-use plastics and shaking up our recycling system. But while we're busy banning plastic forks and straws, are we ignoring the bigger picture? Daisy Croft is the acting manager of the Waste Stream Policy Team at the Ministry for the Environment. She explains what's about to change. So from the 1st of July, uh, you'll no longer see single-use plastic plates, bowls, uh, cutlery or loose plastic produce bags at your supermarket. What are going to be the alternatives that are in place? Uh, the government would really encourage people to consider where they, uh, you know, for example, with plastic produce bags, whether they need one at all, whether you can just roll it onto uh, the conveyor at the checkout. The other option is to bring a reusable produce bag. So those are the changes you might see in the supermarket. What if I go down to, say, my favourite burger joint? From the 1st of July, uh, the sale and production of single-use plastic plates, bowls and cutlery a band, and so at your local takeaway joint, you'll no longer see those items. So we would encourage people to remember their reusable cutlery or bring a reusable bowl or container with them. But again, there will be other alternatives available, such as paper-based uh, plates, bowls and cutlery. Plastic fruit stickers and plastic straws are going to be done away with too, is that right? Yes, that's correct. With plastic straws, it's a restriction on the sale of plastic straws. So uh, people who still require plastic straws for um, health or disability reasons will still be able to request those. What about plastic fruit stickers? What's going on there? What you'll see from the 1st of July is a shift towards more home compostable produce labels. And so the idea being that by uh, mid-2025, those produce labels will be fully home compostable. From mid-2025, the government will then be banning all other PVC and polystyrene food and drink packaging. And how does this all fit in with the government's fight against plastic? So in 2021, uh, the government published a National Plastics Action Plan, and this was part of the government response to a report that was released by the Office of the Prime Minister, Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor, and that report was called Rethinking Plastics. It is a long shopping list, but this is a pivotal moment and rule will cry coordination, not just from us in government, from business, communities, individuals. That encouraged uh, the government to treat 
or you know the country to treat plastic as a valuable resource that is reused and repaired rather than treating it as cheap and disposable. So our National Plastics Action Plan breaks that down and a bit further into you know how can we use less plastic, how can we use it in a more circular way, and and also lessen the adverse impacts on the environment. So we're making good progress on the plan, and part of that is these uh, phase-outs on our hard-to-recycle and single-use plastics. Um, it's also included other things like standardising our curbside recycling system. From next year, councils around the country will standardise curbside recycling collections. It's a great step forward. Aotearoa New Zealand is so far behind the rest of the world. And we're also participating in negotiations towards a United Nations Global Plastics Treaty. More than 100 countries are meeting at a United Nations Environment Assembly to talk about plastic. The plan is to draw up a blueprint for the first ever global agreement to tackle plastic pollution. New Zealand seems to be making some small changes, but compared to other countries, we seem to be a bit uh, slow off the mark in, in some respects, I guess. I mean, is New Zealand doing enough, do you think? So New Zealand is in, in catch-up mode in the waste space, and so a lot, you, There's a, as you can um, hear from what I've been talking about, there is a lot going on. Uh, and I would say, for example, uh, New Zealand's the first country in the world to phase out produce bags, and we're also one of the first to be taking action on produce labels. And we can be proud of that, you know, for example, on produce bags, this will remove 150 million produce bags from circulation each year. There's no quick fix to a plastics problem because it does require changing individuals' behaviours and habits. But are these kinds of changes going far enough? I think part of the issue is that uh, a lot of the approach the government is taking is focused on just banning plastic items. That's Hannah Bloomhurt. She researches zero waste at Victoria University's Institute for Governance and Policy Studies. What would be really great to see is more of a focus on phasing out single-use items generally, regardless of the material type, and putting in place other approaches that are going to drive people towards reusable alternatives instead. Because uh, what we don't want to see is people just replacing single-use plastic with single-use something else. Yeah, give me an example of that. I mean, we have single-use plastic and then we replace it with something else that could be just as bad. Yeah, I guess it's not that replacing single-use plastic with single-use something else is just as bad. I guess it's just bad in a different way. So what we might do is we might replace a single-use plastic plate with a single-use paper plate. But that paper plate has still required resources to be made, um, still requires energy to make that paper plate and then the paper plate is going to be probably food contaminated so it's not going to be recyclable. It often won't be um, compostable either um, because a lot of composters do not want compostable packaging, fibre-based packaging, because there's a possibility that it might contain additives that could be harmful to the soil and so this item just goes to landfill. Part of the issue with our wasteful society is the single-use throwaway mindset. So that's disastrous when you combine it with plastic because disposable plastic is such a problem for so many reasons. But no material is super awesome in a single-use context. Um, so, yes, we should be seeking to reduce plastic usage by adopting reuse solutions. And what are some simple reuse solutions that we can use in everyday life? Well, uh, we can, for example, for the banned items, like things like plastic cutlery are going to be banned. You know, when we're going out to go and get lunch, for example, takeaway, 
we're going to come back to our offices. There's already cutlery in our drawers that we could be using. We don't need to take a fork, even if it's a bamboo fork. We could be remembering when we go out to get our coffees to bring our reusable coffee cups. When we're going to the supermarket to get the produce, now that there's no more single-use plastic bags, instead of using a brown paper bag, we can use a reusable bag or we could just go with no bag to package individual bits of fruit and produce. So those are some solutions, but all of them rely on consumers to come up with the solutions. And so if we're looking at it from a government perspective, um, it's the government that's bringing in these bans. I suppose what I'm saying is that I'd also like to see policy and investment and laws that support the reusable alternatives. Now, Hannah doesn't just research all this stuff, she lives and breathes it. I run a project called The Rubbish Trip with my partner, Liam, and we've been living without a rubbish bin since the beginning of 2015, uh, which means, yeah, we don't produce rubbish, but we also really, really try to restrict our recycling as well. And yeah, we started it as a personal project, but it quickly got out of hand. Uh, We realised how wonderful it was to change the way you live, to make less waste, and we started doing talks around the country after a couple of years of living waste-free. And yeah, we've never looked back since then. We now do advocacy on zero waste issues, continue to support other people to reduce waste at home and their businesses. You're living without a rubbish bin. Wow. So how do you manage to do that? What's the key to doing that? Uh, Well, not having a rubbish bin really helps (laughs) because it focuses the mind. Uh, But yeah, yeah, we just do lots of things like the biggest chunk of most people's rubbish bins is actually food waste. So, yeah, setting up a compost or a bakashi or a worm farm to deal with that. Uh, then a lot of the rest of the rubbish that people have in their homes is packaging. And so we just avoid packaged products. Uh, we choose to shop in places that sell essential items like groceries without packaging. We bring our own bags and containers or we choose to buy things that are in reusable packaging so packaging that you can return once it's empty and then that gets washed and refilled and we also do things like just not accepting any single use items so we've got our reusable coffee cup and our reusable container if you want to get takeaways all that kind of stuff and when it comes to reusing Hannah says there are places around the world that are making this a much bigger focus you know in some countries they've got reuse targets so um, saying a specific amount of serviceware items need to be reusable by X date. Or um, you've got countries like France. Um, at the beginning of this year, they've said that if you're a hospitality outlet and you're serving customers to have here, it is mandatory to use reusable plates and cups and cutlery and all that stuff. So you, so you end up reducing all disposable items um, because people can't be serving on disposables for have here. Here we have the 2022 version with all the disposable tableware. And here we have our 2023 version. Only the burgers packaging and the napkin are disposable. Another example is in Germany. They've also passed a law that's come into effect this year where any hospitality outlet that does takeaway and that includes delivery services, um, they have to offer a reusable takeaway container option alongside the single-use option, and it's got to be the same price or cheaper than the single-use option. So they're not banning all single-use containers, but what they're doing is they're requiring the reusables to be available, and that creates space for businesses and consumers um, to, to move to a more sustainable option. Well, you make it sound like New Zealand's quite behind in some terms. Why would we be so behind? 
I think that if you look just at the scope of things that New Zealand is banning, we're actually, you know, we're doing pretty well. You know, like we're quite ambitious, I think, in the scope of things that we're banning. It's more that we are not as creative in our use of law and policies to achieve wider outcomes. And why we might be behind, part of the reason is that the government doesn't have the same types of regulatory powers available to it in our waste law that other countries have. And to be fair, the government, they've released proposals to update waste legislation that would give them more of these types of powers so they could have more flexible lawmaking. But I also think that for a long time in New Zealand, we have had quite a hands-off approach to things like this. And we'd rather um, we'd rather do things like behaviour change campaigns or just voluntary, you know, asking, putting a lot of pressure on consumers to, quote unquote, do the right thing. Whereas other countries are often more open to actually incentivizing the market to change um, and doing that through a regulatory approach. And that can work really well because it creates, it puts everybody, all businesses in the same boat. It creates a level playing field, which allows scaled solutions to come into play. Um, and it doesn't put all the pressure on consumers. So yeah, I think it's partly a a lack of flexibility in our law at the moment to do these things. And it's partly um, a historical cultural thing about how we sometimes feel about regulations and economic incentives in New Zealand. So politicians just haven't had the will to make these regulatory changes before? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think the public really, really cares about plastic pollution and waste issues. I can hand on heart tell you that the biggest issue I get letters on from the public are about plastics. Successive Kantar Better Future surveys have shown that this, these are in the top 10 concerns of New Zealanders across the board year on year. Um, but I don't know if it's necessarily common knowledge the range of things the government could do to actually reduce um, plastic usage. So there's a lot of focus on recycling things once we've already created them but not a, not a lot of thought about, well, what if we just didn't use them in the first place? And what if there's ways that the laws could be structured to help us not use the things in the first place? Let's talk about recycling. What we can and can't recycle leaves many of us confused. 100,000 tonnes of recyclable material goes in household rubbish bins every year. 16% of the material put in recycling bins shouldn't be in there, in some cases preventing what can be recycled from going through the system. The government's making changes to standardise recycling across the country. By next year, all district and city councils must only accept glass bottles and jars, paper and cardboard, aluminium and steel, tins and cans, and plastic such as drink bottles, food and cleaning product containers. Hannah explains how plastic recycling works and what the changes mean. So in New Zealand, we have onshore capacity to recycle clear PET, um, so that's your drink bottles, HDPE, which is your milk bottles, and polypropylene um, plastic number five, which is things like margarine containers and ice cream containers. So we have capacity to recycle um, these plastics onshore, perhaps not to the extent that we consume them, like we, we use more plastic than we can recycle onshore. 
but we also need to be able to collect them effectively to be able to bring them to those recyclers. And so the government has put in place a policy to standardise our curbside recycling systems so that all councils collect the same plastics in more or less the same way. And that will make it much easier to get the right products to the processes we have on shore. Um, and it will also mean that companies will be less likely to use the types of plastics that we can't recycle onshore because people won't be able to put it into that curbside. So those are some things that are, that are happening at the moment. In terms of the products that the government is phasing out, um, a lot of those products are being phased out because they're not recyclable practically. They're not collected in our curbside or there's reasons why they're not going to be recycled because they might be food contaminated because they're takeaway items. So a lot of the items that are being banned, they're being banned because they're not recyclable um, and they would be, would be probably going to landfill anyway. So that's the logic behind phasing them out. But we send a lot of recycling offshore, don't we? And that's damaged the environment and other places like Malaysia. New Zealand's recycling practices are being called into question amid revelations hundreds of tonnes of plastic are still being sent to Malaysia and Thailand. Concerns have been raised for years around the environmental damage caused to developing nations who accept plastic from the rest of the world to be processed. New Zealand traditionally has been a big exporter of plastic waste recyclers um, and there have been moves internationally to start to crack down on the plastic waste trade and to make it harder to um, export things like um, mixed bales of plastic, contaminated bales of plastic, and plastics that are terms sort of seen as low value plastics like types three, four, six, and seven. So there have been restrictions that have come on board that are that are making it harder to just send bales of plastic to, to countries that are essentially rubbish bales of plastic. However, there are still a lot of loopholes in the law as it currently stands. This is the international law. And so there will still be plastic that we are exporting, thinking that it's going to be recycled, that that may not be effectively recycled, either because there's high rates of contamination in the bales or the process of getting informed consent from the countries who are supposed to be receiving the plastic um, may not be legitimate. Um, and so they may be accepting bales of plastic that have low quality plastics in it that, that have no realistic recycling pathway and are going to end up being burned or dumped. So yeah, the plastic waste trade is um, problematic. It's very difficult to get the controls in place to really be able to say hand on heart that um, everything that we send overseas is being treated in an environmentally sound manner. Um, and so all I can say to that is that if we don't feel comfortable exporting our plastic waste, what that means is that we need to live within our means in New Zealand and we should not be consuming plastic that we can't process onshore. So is New Zealand making any noise about plastics on the world stage? Remember the big treaty Daisy Croft mentioned at the start? We're also participating in negotiations towards a United Nations Global Plastics Treaty. The most recent round of negotiations was in Paris a month ago. Inside, the UN Environment Programme hosting talks released a blueprint to reduce plastic waste by 80% by 2040. But it's been slow going. Saudi Arabia, Russia, China and other smaller countries they don't have an interest to reduce production. Do you get the sense that they're intentionally slowing down these discussions? Of course, of course. This is a tactic to delay the, the cycle of negotiation. 
Drusia Farrelly is an associate professor at Massey University and an expert on plastic pollution. She was at those treaty talks in Paris as an observer. What we're looking for is a mandated treaty, legally binding, that's driven from global cooperation to, to come up with things like global standards, perhaps production reduction, um, so maybe caps on virgin plastic production. That's brand new plastic that's never been used before. Looking at regulating the production of petrochemicals um, and the chemicals used in the production of plastics and looking to uh, phase out non-essential plastics, plastics that we don't need, and, and pushing for reusables, refillables, zero waste circular uh, economies and systems, plastic-free uh, economies and systems, and different ways of uh, dis- distribution systems that remove the need for toxic plastics in, in the economy. There are a few issues New Zealand's been pushing in the negotiations. Reform of fossil fuel subsidies, plastic production reduction, as well as support for indigenous science. But do those words on the big international stage match up with their actions here on the ground? Nobody can be clean and green when it comes to this because this is a transboundary global issue. It's not just a domestic issue. Sure, we can do much better. Yes, it's great to see what we're seeing coming out on the 1st of July. I'm really heartened by this. But can we do better? Oh, we can do so much better than this. Are we making a splash on the global stage in the treaty negotiations? Absolutely, yes. And then the next question would be, but does our interventions on the global stage match up to what we're doing domestically? And I would say absolutely not. So there's a real, um, for me, a huge chasm between the ambition we're seeing in the interventions in the global plastics treaty negotiations and what we're actually doing nation, nationally in our, in our policy. So we also need to close that gap as well. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Daisy Croft, Hannah Bloomhurt and Drusia Farrelly. Ma te wa.